Did you catch everything that Mike was saying? In three weeks, this service won't exist. None of our, the three current services we have, they're going to be changed. There'll be two services. We're going to do that temporarily until we hope sometime next year that through the God giving us growth and then also growing our volunteer base that we'll be able to add another service again to our Fremont campus. It's almost like we're still doing three services in three weeks. It's just one of them's at Tiffin and two of them are here is kind of the thing. And then so just be ready for that change. It's coming up. That'll be the Sunday after our Celebrate Grace and, and we are excited to see all that happening. And then, so that day, we go to two services. That's when we're soft launching Tiffin. That means Tiffin people will start attending. They'll try to work out the bugs for two weeks. And then the next Sunday, September 29th, after that, uh, will be the public grand opening. Now, here's the deal. I, don't, I, don't th- I didn't hear Mike say this, so let me hit, hit you with this. If you're planning on staying here in Fremont, not being a part of the Tiffin campus, and, but you're excited about it, right? Do not go to the grand opening. All right, don't go that Sunday. Actually, it'd be bad, and, and I, because I know some of you will say, well, I'm staying here at Fremont, but I want to go check it out on a Sunday. We're asking you not to do that for a couple of months because we don't know what our seating is going to be like. We don't know how everybody's going to fit. We, we want that core to gel a little bit. So we would say, hey, hold off until like mid-November to do something like that. So you got it? Good. Good, barely, you just barely got that. All right. So today, we are beginning a new series, All In, All Out. And I want to look at Luke chapter 14 and, and point out some things that Jesus says. Uh, before I do that, I, I want to give you a little bit of context on the chapter, Luke 14. Jesus is in the middle of his uh, teaching ministry, and he has... he. He's been uh, teaching some things at a dinner, and then he tells a story about a man who, a, a, a master who had this huge dinner, and he sent out invitations, and people received those, but when the dinner was ready, he sent his servants out to say to all the people he had invited, hey, it's on, it's ready, come now. But then one after another, they all began to make excuses, And they didn't come. And when the servant came back and told the master that, the master became angry. And then he sent out the servants to to invite to this dinner that's already prepared and ready to go. To invite the the lame, the blind, the poor people, the the sort of the, the, the not the high society, to bring all them in. And as they started coming in, the servant came back to the master and said, hey, there's still room And so then again, the master said, well, go out to the highways, go out to the hedges, go out to the outer extremes, invite in the travelers, invite in the outcasts, bring them in. And that's what they do. And so we hear that story. And of course, when Jesus was teaching that, he was basically saying, hey, those original guests, those were the Jewish people, but they weren't, most of them were rejecting Christ at the time. And the invitation was being broadened out to the rest of the people in the world, to the Gentiles, like most of us are, for example, the invitation was broadened out to the Gentile people. And it's just come in. And so we learn that Jesus is inviting us to come, but not everybody comes. But Jesus is inviting us to come in, and we do that. Then Luke positions 
the, this next thing, this teaching about Jesus, it's a little different uh, context. Now he, he's walking and crowds are following him. And so right when we think, wow, all we have to do is, is it's a free invitation. All we have to do is accept. He says something very interesting because basically he's saying, hey, to receive the invitation is to be all in so that we can be all out for him. And here's where he does that. It's in Luke chapter 14 beginning in verse 25. And here's what it says. Now, large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." And so he drops this bombshell, and it sounded as radical then as it sounds to us today. But he's he's saying, hey, he hits these people with this harder reality. And this is one of the hard sayings of Jesus, the, the tough ones for us to figure out. And Jesus turns to them, he makes this statement, and he's he's basically saying, Hey, to follow him is to be. A disciple. And then through this passage we find out what it means to be a disciple. And, here, and first of all it's this. He's saying discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is Christianity. Did you catch that? Discipleship for a believer, a discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is what? Christianity is. Now, discipleship just means to follow. You can be a disciple of somebody. That means you just you follow them. And all the people who followed Jesus were originally called disciples. They weren't called Christians until Antioch and after Jesus was off the scene. That's when the term Christian showed up. But before that, they were just called the disciples of Jesus. Now, Today, it's interesting because many people think that Christianity exists like in two levels. Uh, you have one level, and they're like the okay Christians. They're the, they're the Christians who, um, you know, they're okay Christians, but they, they like Jesus, but they're not passionately, passionately trying to follow Jesus in every area of their life. They didn't really sign up for that. But they're, they're okay with Jesus. They're okay Christians. And then those people would believe, but there's a level two Christianity. And that level two Christianity, those are for the disciples. Those are for the people. That's the level reserved for Christians who are, who are really all in and are passionate about following Jesus in every single area of their life. But, it, but what Jesus is saying here is it's not okay to be an okay Christian. Actually, we see this a little bit in our culture this way. Hey, hey, how you doing? Uh, Phil, are you guys good with breaks? We're okay. Just okay? We got a saying here. 
the brakes don't stop it, something will. That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. Just okay is not okay. Have you ever worked for Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. First tattoo? Yeah. Relax, amigo. It's gonna look okay. Only okay? No worries, boss. I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. You mean one of the best tattoo artists in the city, right? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, aren't you supposed to draw it first? Stay in your lane, bro. Just okay is not okay. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's, Jesus is telling us it's not okay to be an okay Christian. It's not, there's not two levels of Christianity. One level who really follows Jesus and the other level that's just, well, we accept Jesus and we sort of live our own life. Jesus is saying, that doesn't happen. That doesn't exist. That's not okay. Other people see discipleship a little bit differently. They see discipleship is a church program for mentoring people where you, you line up a person and another person and then one person disciples the other person. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is, all true Christians are disciples. All true Christians are disciples. There's not Christians and then some of them become disciples. All true Christians are disciples. Discipleship is not optional. It's what Christianity is. Now, how do I know that? The first verse, Luke 14, 25. Remember? Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them. Who's the them? The crowds. His, his apostles are with him. The twelve are also with Jesus. But he doesn't turn to them to say this. He turns to the crowd and says, hey, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father, hate your mother, hate your children. You know, it's just like, what? And he drops this bomb on them. Discipleship is not optional. It's Christianity. Secondly, Jesus teaches us that discipleship is not half-hearted. It's radical love. That's what he's saying when he starts talking about family members. Faith in Jesus is a call to allegiance. And it's to have Jesus first place over all. Over all our other relationships, even family relationships. We don't fit Jesus into our already packed lives. And we don't come to Jesus to be a better spouse. We don't come to Jesus so we can be a better parent. We don't come to Jesus to get our life straightened out. We don't even come to Jesus because he makes sense or because he's relevant. He is all those things. And he will impact all your relationships. But we come to Jesus because Jesus is God. That's why we, that should be our main motivation. All those other things happen as he changes our lives from the inside out. Discipleship is radical love. 
please understand, I'm not saying that it's exclusively an emotional decision that's somehow separated from our will and our thinking. It's being willing to follow him. But as Jesus' love for us becomes apparent, as we discover the truth about that, as we decide on Jesus and we figure out how he loves us, what he's done for us, our hearts turn to him forever. We're changed. We see his love and we love him back and we want to follow. And then, but that doesn't make this incredibly countercultural statement any less difficult for us. Just like it was counterculture in the first century. Hey, you have to hate your mother and father in order to be my disciple. They heard that the same way. Now, this word hate has caused some confusion. But he's saying, hey, love of Jesus is before love of our family. If anyone, verse 26, comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my follower, he's saying. Now, of course, this word hate, it's hard. It's caused some confusion. In the Greek, this word actually means hate. And that, that's it. That's what it means. But it's used comparatively and not actively. No one thinks Jesus is actually saying that we would literally hate our parents because Jesus is the one that told us to honor our parents, told us how to love and to love sacrificially, to love others. He, he told us to even love our enemies. He's the one who, as he was being tortured to death, he loved the people that were doing it by forgiving them. That's Jesus. But this is a uh, comparative use of the word hate to contrast. It emphasizes contrast. How do we, and that's, it's the same way in other places in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, if you'll remember that, how Jacob loved Rachel and worked for her for seven years uh, for her father. And then on the wedding night, her father substitutes Rachel's older sister, Leah, and kind of brings up this whole drama. But then the Bible says, you know, Jacob loved Rachel but hated Leah. But in the same passage, it says Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. This is a hyperbole of comparison to emphasize contrast. And we get that. There are people here who've... By coming to Jesus, you've alienated relationships with your parents or your siblings, maybe even your spouse or, or friends. That happened in the first century. To become a follower of Christ was to reject traditional Judaism. And that was a big deal. So people, you know, they made a choice for Christ over their families. And people do the same thing today. Jesus is saying, love me in a way that makes all your other loves pale in comparison. Love me first. You have to love me first. 
and we hear this, it kind of, it's, it really sounds different. That's why it's a hard saying. <clears throat> I love my family. God has given me a family better, and I've said this before, better than I could have ever imagined family to be in my 20s. All the blessings I have in family is given to me by God. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my wife. I love my, my mom and my dad who's passed. But I love God more. Ironically, when we love God more, it makes our love for our Family, our parents, our children, our friends, it makes us able to more effectively love them. When we love our children, do not, Christian, do not love your children more than Jesus. If you do, you will mess them up. They will become the center of your life. They will think that's what they should be. And you will jack them up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Christian, do not live for your spouse before you do Jesus. Don't live for your spouse. Your spouse cannot bear the weight of you living for them. You will mess up your relationship. You will ultimately drive your spouse away. Jesus is saying our love for him has to be greater than our love for all other relationships. Ironically, it will help us love better in every one of those relationships if we have Christ in our life. Because we're not needy. And we are able to give self-sacrificing love. So ironically, we will love them all better if we have Jesus first. And then Jesus says, hey, it's not, discipleship's not half-hearted. It's radical love. Love before family, but also Jesus says love before self. To be a disciple is to be all in on Jesus so that we can be all out for him. That's what he intends. That's what the normal Christian life is. And the problem is life's comforts keep people from being all in for Jesus. Life's comforts keep us from wanting to make sacrifices whether that's just sacrificing our comfort, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our resources, sacrificing our talent, whatever it is that we would give that to him. Being comfortable is the enemy of that. Jesus must be first in our life. He must be our first love. And then later, we haven't read this yet, in verse 33, he's saying, hey... Discipleship's not half-hearted. Discipleship is radical love. 
And we have to love Jesus before our stuff. That's in verse 33. Jesus says it this way. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Well, so what does that mean, Kevin? We have to just give Jesus everything? I mean, we just bring it into the church? As, As nice as that might be. No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, you should have this recognition that everything you have is God's. And you should honor God with what you have. You give everything away, that's great. But then you have nothing to honor God with in that area before. But he's saying, honor God with everything. And and the weird thing is, people say, okay, yeah, I got the time thing. I got my love thing down. But we put resources, we put our stuff in a different category and we sort of hoard that from God and say, yeah, I'm all in for God, but I don't plan on sacrificially giving from this area. I don't even plan uh, to sacrifice in that area for Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus if other things have a stronger pull in your life. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus, that's serving yourself. So discipleship is not optional, it's Christianity, it's not half-hearted, it's radical, and discipleship is not free. It costs. Now please understand, you don't earn your salvation in any way. It's like joining the Marines. It's free to join, but there are some expectations when you, you should count the costs, right? That's what Jesus is saying with Christianity. Have you ever had a, a bill that came in the mail? Maybe it's, it's for your cable or maybe it's from the bank. You have a bank statement or, or you stay at a hotel and you notice the hidden fees. You're like, whoa, 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 what, what's that? What's that? Anybody? Jesus saying no hidden fees. Discipleship costs. Count the costs. Think about the cost, because the cost is everything. That's what he's saying. The cost is your life. We take up our cross in order to be his disciple. And you've got to understand, Jesus is saying this before he died on the cross. People were familiar with people dying on the cross. That happened in the first century. Romans did that to enemies of the state. Verse 27 says, who does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so to the people that originally heard this before Jesus died on the cross, to them that just meant, hey, pick up your electric chair and follow me. Bring your firing squad and follow me. Grab your guillotine and come with me. And people are going, what? What, what is he saying? It's, and it's not the first time they heard him say this. Earlier in Luke chapter 9 and also recorded in some of the other gospel writers, it says this in verse 23. And he was saying to them all, again, all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. For what 
Is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Or some the other uh, gospel writers, and loses his own soul. That's what Jesus has been saying all through his ministry. And of course we know the first thing that we think about is we realize that as we become followers of Christ, it's possible that we could be killed for that. That doesn't happen here in our country that was established on Christian principles, but it happens today. Happens in Muslim countries. In every Muslim-dominated country in the world, it is not safe to be a Christian. You cannot talk about your faith. Not one. That's the normal way Christians live in other countries. But beyond being willing to give our life for Christ, there's something else at play here. And that is really... more applicable to us. But we know, because we know our life belongs to him. Our life belongs to Jesus in a daily, practical way. Pick up your own cross daily, is what he's saying. But back to Luke 14. So Jesus is saying... To the disciple and the potential disciple. Count the costs. And then he tells two stories to illustrate that. He tells a story of a guy who was going to build a tower. And those would normally be built, you know, uh, to watch over a vineyard. It would be kind of a, a barn slash security measure. And he starts building a tower, but he didn't sit down and calculate the cost. And so before he finishes it, he's out of money. And he says, who would do that? Who would, not, who would start a tower without sitting down to figure out if they had enough resources to finish it? And it's a rhetorical question. Nobody should do that. And then he tells another story about a king. What king? Well, have an invading army come in, another king's coming to attack him with 20,000 men. And before he goes out with his 10,000, will he not stop and analyze, hey, can I win this battle or not? Because if I can't, I can send out emissaries and try for peace. What king would go out and march against a superior force that's invading without calculating the risks and the costs that what, what might happen. And, and the rhetorical answer is, no king would do that. And he's telling us the same thing. Count the costs of following Jesus. Just as illogical is the thought of a follower of Jesus without assessing the ramifications and impact. And then Jesus ended, after he told those stories, right after those stories, this verse, in verse 33... We've seen it before. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. What's he saying? Remember last Sunday? Hey, if your life as a Christian is placid, predictable, unchanged, that's not what you should expect with Christianity. God comes into our lives and he changes us. And we see all of life differently. Actually, it makes a lot more sense. But then he is calling us to align ourselves with him, which is not always easy. Sometimes that could be awkward. It can be unpredictable. Unexpected things will happen. It's not comfortable to do that all the time. But we have an experience, his peace, 
through anything we're going through. That's the Christian life. It's like a roller coaster. It's being willing to respond to him. It's being willing to get involved in his agenda. It's, it's stretching out, getting out of our comfort zone, doing what God would want us to do, making God the biggest part of our life. We owe him everything, our allegiance, our lives. He's first. And if, if you're not, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't think it's really that way. Then you're not understanding Christianity. You're adding Jesus to, to your life to make you feel better. Maybe about the future. Or maybe about your death. But you're not really understanding Christianity. So discipleship's not optional. It's what Christianity is. Discipleship is not half-hearted. It's radical love. Discipleship is not free. It costs. And fourth, discipleship is not conditional. It's all in. We can't be half a disciple. Don't kid yourself. There's an all-in aspect to following Jesus. That's what he's talking about. If we don't follow him unconditionally, we're not really following him at all. If we're placing conditions, well, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as this happens in my life. I'll follow you as long as you don't ask me to do this. I'll follow you as long... Hey, if there are any ifs or conditions to serving him then you're calling the shots. You're the king. He's the servant. You're telling him how it should be. That's not service. And we see people living their lives, people who call themselves Christians, living their lives like that all the time. How do you make your moral decisions? Is this right or is this wrong? You can get to the bottom of it just by asking that question. How are you making moral decisions? Are you just going by what you think is right? Or, to make you feel better, are you going with what you think is right? And culture is backing you up on that. So this is just normal in our culture. Because if you're making your moral decisions that way, then, then you're your own God. We should be making our moral decisions based on what God says in his word. Based on our allegiance to Jesus. Based on our discipleship of our king. And that results in us not living like the rest of the world. Because we make decisions differently. We do things that the world doesn't make sense. That's why at Grace, when people become believers and they're living together unmarried, they start wrestling with that. Because they understand God's calling them to a different choice. God says what's right and wrong. We don't just do that because 
it makes logical sense to us or because, oh, we just drifted into this or this is a way we save money or whatever that is. That's not good enough. We make our choices based on what God says is right. We follow him because we're disciples of our king. That's what Christianity is. So how do you do that? It's one or the other. There's no middle ground here. How do you base your decisions? On God or on you? If you consider yourself a Christian, but you don't intend to follow Jesus like that, I mean, just to be honest, I mean, you're sitting here, this is first service, there's probably maybe a slightly lower number of people that think this way, but you're just here kind of going, Kevin, you know, I get what you're saying, I understand Jesus died for me, you know, I'm all in on that part, but this whole follow Jesus in every area... I really don't think I can do that. I'm really not doing that. I don't really intend to do Maybe when I'm really old, I'll do that. When I can't do anything else that I want to do. If that's how you're thinking, I want you to listen very closely to what Jesus says next. In the next verse, here's what he says. Therefore, therefore, what, what's the therefore? He's just talked about, hey, you can't be his disciple unless you give up all of your possessions. I mean, he's number one in your life. And he says, therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will, will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or, or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's not optional. Discipleship is not optional. Discipleship is not half-hearted. It's, discipleship is not free. Discipleship is not conditional. And, and if you're thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm doing that, Kevin. Last thing. Discipleship is not instantaneous. It can be gradual. It involves both a start as we come to Christ, but then it's a journey. And so if we see these areas in our life and we're going, wow, I'm really not following him like I should in this area, then, then we have to analyze, well, am I following more than I have been, am I growing in my discipleship, and, I, and I'm, am I willing to follow him? How do I know? Because take up your cross, you know what I'm saying? It's like grab your guillotine, get your firing squad. Well, it is a little different than that. It's different in this way. You take up your electric chair, your firing squad, your guillotine, Your death is instantaneous. But you take up your cross, and that was a death that was designed to be slow and gradual. It took time. And so if you're thinking, I, I don't, I, Kevin, I, I don't think I can do all that. Or if you're thinking, wow, I, I'm looking at my life and I, I just... That's not the way I've been living. I'm just distracted. You, you don't understand. I got this going on, this going on. It, it's just too much. I just feel overwhelmed. 
It just boils down to one question. One question. Right now, are you willing to take up your cross and follow him? Are you willing to put him first in your life? Are you willing to make Jesus at least a bigger and bigger part of your life? To just acknowledge that he should be first and that you're, you're trying to get there. Because that's exactly what Jesus expects. And that's what Jesus wants. And that's actually what's best for us. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, always for your graciousness, your goodness. Father, we thank you for this free gift that you've given, you've offered us in Jesus, that you've given to us just through belief, just through faith. But God, we also understand that there's more to it than that for us. That if that's really true in our life, that our faith is really real, we will respond to you in gratitude, realizing you own everything we own, that you own our lives. And that we would more and more live that way. So God, we ask you, Spirit, we ask you to help us to grow through your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to apply discipleship in our lives by keeping you first in every single area of our life. And God, we thank you for loving us and sacrificing for us more than we could ever imagine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.